Then you will truly be successful. And we know all things work together for the good. Gotta work together. The good. Gotta work together. And we know all things work together for the good. Gotta work together. The good to those who love God. He has word on your lips. To those who are called. Meditate on your According to be his purpose, to do purpose. it's his purpose, Ooh. not mine. And we know all things work together for the good. Gotta work together. The good. Gotta work together. And we know all things work together for the good. Gotta work together. The good. To those who love God, to those who are called, according to his purpose, it's his purpose, not mine. It's day 33 of our 90 day challenge and the topic for today is fear is a false prophet. Isaiah the 41st chapter, the first through the 10th verse. Be silent before me, you islands. Let the nations renew their strength. Let them come forward and speak. Let us meet together at the place of judgment. Who has stirred up one from the east, calling him in righteousness to his service? He hands nations over to him and subdues kings before him. He turns them to dust with his sword, to windblown chaff with his bow. He pursues them and moves on unscathed by a path his feet have not traveled before. Who has done this and carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, with the first of them and with the last, I am he. The islands have seen it and fear. The ends of the earth tremble. They approach and come forward. They help each other and say to their companions, be strong. The metal worker encourages the goldsmith and the one who smooths with the hammer spurs on the one who strikes the anvil. One says of the welding, it is good. The other nails down the idol so it will not topple. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth. From its farthest corners, I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And again, our topic for today is fear is a false prophet. Divorce is hard. I don't know any other way to begin this. Once upon a time, an innocently precocious boy named Sean was born. He had dreams. He had goals. He fell in love with Jesus at seven years old and discovered his purpose as a freshman in college after attending a Thai tribute concert. I am called to invoke the people of God into a true worship experience, and worship is what he did. He preached his first sermon at 16 and began a 5 a.m. prayer meeting on Wednesday mornings at 17. He joined and directed a choir at 18 and began transporting his college friends to church every Sunday. During his first sermon, he made a public vow to remain sexually pure until marriage. Off he went to fulfill that vow. A virgin, a Pentecostal, a kid. But even this kid 
was battling some unpronounced, unprecedented adult pain. What do you want to be when you grow up? When do you want to get married? How many kids will you have? These were the reverberating questions asked of me everywhere, at church, in school, at parties, with family, everywhere. Out of the many hopeful dreams and creative responses I had as a kid, divorce was nowhere on my five-year plan. It wasn't on my vision board. It wasn't on my timeline. I didn't have a backup plan. For me, divorce was not an option. I knew it happened to others. I just never expected it to happen to me. Margaret Atwood says this, a divorce is like an amputation. You survive it, but there's less of you. This virgin named Sean met another virgin named Anna on Seton Hall's campus. She had me at hello. She had a testimony and would evangelize a dying spider if she wasn't afraid of them. God had miraculously healed her of leukemia, and it was clear she was a living, breathing, walking, talking miracle. We both received the same full tuition scholarship. And we both were raised in Newark, but I moved out early to live in a more civilized dwelling. She, on the other hand, had survived graduating from high school in Newark, the second miracle among many. At most, we would become great friends. She was way too pretty to be saved for real. She must be a Christian on Sunday, but a hypocrite on Friday. Yes, I thought it. But by the second or third conversation, I discovered that she too was committed to God for real. In fact, she and I attended the same church growing up on Clinton Avenue in Irvington, Christian Pentecostal Church of Christ. But we never realized it because she attended the Spanish service while I attended the English service. Five years later, we would be saying I do to one another at that very church in front of 450 wedding attendees. At first glance, I thought to myself, I don't deserve her. She was too smart, too nice, too pretty. I don't deserve her. I had to have said those words to her and myself at least twice a day for a few years. I didn't know those words would become a destructive mantra, which accompanied me at each turn as I made dozens of unhealthy decisions that ultimately sabotaged the sacredness of our union. By the age of 22, I was engaged twice, but the second time would be my last time. The proposal was hilarious. The wedding was a blur. The honeymoon was a reality TV noteworthy show. And off we went to live happily ever after. Off we went to proclaim the good news of Jesus through books, Bible studies, and marriage. Off we went to consolidate debt, open up joint accounts, launch websites, purchase furniture, merge our families, and prove the doubters wrong. By the end of the very first week of my marriage, I knew something wasn't right. I didn't know how I knew, but I knew. I thought about talking to friends and family, but I was met with comments like, y'all must be swinging on chandeliers every night. The truth is we were sleeping in separate beds before our six month anniversary. I knew something was wrong, but it wasn't her. It was me. Classic line I know, but it's the truth. She was always willing to adjust, understand, pray, cry and repeat. But I hid my pain behind publication and pedigree. I hid my stress behind success and sermons. I truly believed and do believe in the God of miracles. I just didn't know how to separate the wheat of I believe from the tear of help my unbelief. It was hard, very hard. I tried therapy for a few months after we said I do. 
I stopped eating for weeks at a time. Clinically diagnosed with depression, I was given a prescription for antidepressants. I guess that helped a little. To the world, we were perfect. Inside our home, we struggled. I struggled. Marrying your best friend always helps because friends will stay even when everything else fades away. But friendship wasn't enough to survive the rapacious waves and the inundating winds. A lot of those winds I created because I didn't know how to enjoy peace be still. I was in love with the kind of chaotic covenant. If it wasn't bad, I'd find a way to welcome more wind in. The point is, neither of us knew how to swim in real life, but metaphorically speaking, we were drowning. Slowly, but surely. But please don't cry for us, Argentina. All was not bad. My odes to Anna on Facebook were heartfelt and factual, every single word. We had a lot of great days, a lot of bucket list moments, thriving in business together, ministry together, having great vision talks and worship sessions, traveling all across the country, Hawaii, Dominican Republic, you name it, earning six figures and moving into a five bedroom home. Before we both turned 25, there were some great moments and I will cherish those forever. And of course, the greatest of our blessings came in 2012, Zanai Esther Saunders. Indeed, she's a gift that keeps on giving. She's the reason I did not commit suicide. She is the reason I stopped whispering in prayer, God, I don't want to die, but I just don't want to live. Zanai, grace on two legs. She kept me sane when there was no other reason to get up in the morning. And that was really helpful when our marriage escalated to critical condition. There are no quick fixes in marriage. It takes real commitment and a willingness to change. Long after the hype moments end in church, so there we were living and dying at the same time, half dead but a half alive. Like a broken faucet, the leak in our marriage would not stop. The more we prayed, the louder it got. The more counselors we turned to, the more difficult it became to express the inexpressible. Filing for divorce was hard, but nothing prepared me for being divorced on paper, but married by memory. Nothing prepared me for the random moments when I would habitually go online to pay a bill that was no longer in my name. Nothing prepared me for the first time our daughter called me a guest in her home. Nothing prepares you for the first time you look up and realize that the clothes didn't just wash themselves for the last seven years or when you have to stand before people to preach in a church and not see your spouse cheering you on. Or when you're cleaning up to move on and you pull out a wedding photo hidden between the folds of an old couch and you stop to cry because you can't pack anything else anymore. Nothing prepares you for the aftershock of a divorce hurricane. But if I'm honest, I secretly judged people who filed for divorce. Even people in my own family. They didn't fight hard enough. They didn't pray long enough. They should have gone to counseling. He was selfish. She was unwilling to forgive and forget. They must not know God. God is able to do all things but fail. Leave it to life to make you fall flat on your face. The reality is marriage is honorable in God's sight. Yes, but marriage is also a commitment between two people. Two broken people don't make a whole marriage. And your spouse is not your savior. God is. I knew I was too broken to say yes, but I was too scared to say no. I was so concerned about what others might say if I didn't go through with it. And I was so afraid that if I didn't do it at that moment, it wasn't going to get done. But I have now learned that it is possible for God to be at the center of your life and not be at the center of your marriage. 
And both people can be praying for God to heal their marriage and both can watch it die on the deliverance table. I've endured a whole lot in my life, but no pain compares to the aftershock of divorce. It hits you out of nowhere. It really doesn't get easier. It just gets different. We've been divorced for several years now, but Anna and I made a commitment to honor God and honor one another through each and every turn and chapter. I will never publicly or privately dishonor her. I will never share every detail of our marriage because I have learned over time to be honest with everyone, but transparent with a few. I do have one word of advice for anyone who is hurting. Pray before you post. Don't allow the world or even well-meaning church people to dictate your decisions. Don't believe the hype. Everyone smiling in a picture is not happy in the bedroom. Don't give up on your spouse just because someone else's marriage did not work out. God is able to blow your mind at the 11th hour, and it is possible for you to be the exception. And to those wrestling with guilt and shame, I know that pain all too well. Let me tell you what I know for sure. Regret will ruin you from the inside out if you allow it to. And everybody's story is not the same. For me, I had to accept that just because the marriage ended didn't mean the friendship had to. And fear is a false prophet. Fear will keep you entangled and ashamed at the same time. Fear is a false prophet. I want to teach you something that I wish I had learned myself during that time at 23 years old. Admit the fear, but then forget the fear. It is not ironic. It is not by accident that the words fear not are written in the Bible 365 times. I believe God in God's divine sovereignty allowed the writers to pen fear not 365 times because he knew that according to our modern calendar, there would be 365 days in our calendar year and every day of the year, we would have to face fear, fear not. But Isaiah 41 and 10 doesn't just tell us not to fear. It says, for I am with you. And to those who have ever struggled with being alone, let me tell you, there is insulation for your isolation. God is with you. For those who have experienced the rejection of friends walking away, the betrayal of those you thought loved you, God is with you. And God being with you is more than an army of people against you. God says in Isaiah 41 and 10, not only Am I with you? But I will strengthen you and help you. I want you to know that even fear has a purpose. I heard an acronym a long time ago that I never forgot that fear could mean two things for you. It could mean forget everything and run or face everything and rise. Just because you don't talk about it doesn't mean it doesn't affect you. And if you don't get a hold of fear, fear will keep you from achieving purpose, accepting assignment, committing to calling and killing it with your destiny. Fear has been the leading actor of your play called life for such a long time. Why don't you fire fear and hire faith? To be quite honest, 
I am a miracle on two legs, not just because of the stroke that I survived, but because of the emotional healing that I ascertained after thinking that my heart would never beat again. After thinking that I had ruined someone's life, after feeling responsible for single-handedly being the reason that somebody cried. But I want to tell you, fear is a false prophet. Dr. Phil told me a long time ago, well, he didn't tell me, but he said it on a show and I felt like he was talking to me. He said, if you learned from the mistake, it is not failure. It is tuition. And I happen to believe that God uses every predicament for purpose. That no, God does not do everything, but God will use everything. And I've decided that if God could use my smile, he could also use my tears. If God could use my success, he could also use my mistakes. If God could use my marriage, then he could also use my divorce. If God could use this season, then he could also use the season that I regret the most. How about you? I want you to stop editing your story and removing the painful parts because sometimes it's the pain that leads us to purpose. Sometimes it's the pain that humanizes us and reminds us that there is no condemnation to those who are in the Lord, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So today, I want you to remember that God is with you. Admit the fear, but then forget the fear. Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, someone's in pain right now. And I believe you allowed me to share this part of our lives together for a purpose. I pray, God, that you would massage that person's heart and let them know it's not over until you say it's over. I pray, God, for that one who is struggling with guilt and drowning in the sea of constant reminders and triggers. You healed my heart. Would you heal them too? And I thank you that you don't stop until good happens. That we know all things work together for the good to those who love God. So we commit to this understanding. If it is not good yet, you are not done yet. I pray with my whole heart that you would use every part of my life for your glory, not just the parts that I like. Lord, help us all to find healing and wholeness. Help us all to find a safe space and trust you even when we cannot trace you. I love you so much and I thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sometimes I talk a little too much, don't listen enough. And sometimes it's way too easy for me to beat myself up. Sometimes I hate the way I look when I look in the mirror. One look from you, I know my flaws. You love, you love my flaws. 
think they make me beautiful You don't see them as flaws at all That's why, that's why, that's why I love you Cause you are, you are the one who The one who loves my flaws Sometimes I get a little unsure A lot insecure Yeah. Sometimes I know I might say some words That might cause some hurt Sometimes I get in my own way I'm way too much to put up with You put up with it all My flaws You love, you love my flaws Think they make me beautiful You don't see them as flaws at all That's why That's why, that's why I love you Cause you are, you are the one who The one who loves my flaws You think I'm everything when I think I'm nothing When I hate myself You still love me, love me and My flaws You love, you love my flaws Think they make me beautiful You don't see them as flaws at all Beyond my flaws, my flaws, you know my flaws, and you still love me.